Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. Several years ago, I was hiking with my mom when she calmly stated that she didn't think women should have to ask for what they want. And it was a good thing I was behind her because I do not have a poker face, and she did not see my jaw drop to the ground. I thought, wow, the mind-reading school of relationships, how's that working for you? And I realized that the appeal of this way, I mean, I really do. I, I recognize the appeal of thinking this way, that it goes along with the soulmate fantasy and that if you really loved me, you would know concept. And it lets me off the hook for both identifying and communicating what makes me feel loved and connected in a relationship. How great is that? Um, but a second part of the problem is that you're left guessing about what it is that would make your partner happy. And if you guess wrong, no matter how sincere your effort might have been, you find yourself in hot water. So with the comfort provided by traditional rules now gone and the ones for modern intimate relationships not really very well established, is there a way to make it work? Well, i got great news for you because author and founder of Compassion Power, Dr. Stephen Stosny, is here with some good news on that question. So, Dr. Stosny, thank you so much for coming on and talking about <laughs> this natural but very confusing um, situation of being in long-term intimate relationships. Yeah, unfortunately, our brains didn't really evolve for that. <laughs> for one thing, our, the emotional part of our brains was fully developed when the life expectancy was 27, so you didn't have to worry that much about long-term relationships. <laughs> Yeah, back then it was just surviving till the next day. Right, and you uh, uh, didn't have to worry about quality of life. When, whenever we're in survival mode, we don't even think of quality. Right. So you wrote a really interesting article that appeared on Psychology Today's website called What Your Partner Needs to Hear You Say. And... The one thing I loved about this is you instructed all of us to repeat out loud three times. I don't know what the hell I'm doing when it comes to making a modern intimate relationship work. I love that. <laughs> and so here's the question. Why do we need to not just hear this, but actually say it out loud repetitively? Well, it's because ego gets in the way of really learning how to make a relationship work. Because like your mother, we think we should know. Uh, but, but actually, there's no way we could know. The historical models have broken down. Gender roles have broken down. Uh, the biggest factors are the death of the extended family, which is about 70 years ago now. Hmm. When I was a kid, even, uh, I'm not quite that old, but when I, when I was a kid, you would rarely have a nuclear family that's 
two parents and children living alone together. You would always have uh, Grandma up in the attic, Aunt Sally down in the basement, and Uncle Fred in the guest room. Now, wait a minute. Are you Southern? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I was in New Jersey. That's the way it was. And if they weren't <laughs> in the state... crazy aunts in the attic down here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they, we have them in New Jersey, too. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's, and that's really true. We are terribly, terribly isolated. Plus, you know, as I tell people, we're now on second and third generation divorces. So sometimes there isn't even an intact nuclear family. Yes, that's right. And the uh, you see the rise in family violence directly parallels the decline of the extended family. Uh, it's almost an, a pure inverse relationship uh, because they you know protected you from child abuse because if your kid wore you out. You sent him upstairs to irritate grandma for a while when <laughs> she couldn't take it anymore, right. and Sally would, would take over. Uh, and you didn't have as much domestic violence with the brother-in-law living next door. <laughs> Interesting. Well, yeah, because you know, pe- people would know there wasn't. Yes, right. there might still be some quiet behind closed doors. And I think that's also part of the problem um, now because we also have social media where everybody puts their best face forward on social media, which really distorts this whole thing even more because those, those people over there aren't having, aren't, aren't having any difficulties. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if they're on social media all the time, they're probably not noticing each other. <laughs> well, yeah, which, which again, this can be can be problematic. So, so other than the breakdown of the extended family, what are some of the also marrying for love is only two hundred years old, uh, and, and marriage was not designed for love. It was a social political alliance, uh, and. You would start at a very low level of interest, trust, compassion, and love, and there's nowhere to go but up. We start at a very high level of love, compassion, interest, an unsustainable level, really, and there's nowhere to go but down. So uh, you, nature and history doesn't prepare you for modern intimate relationships, so you've got to learn how to do it. And it's going to look a little different with each couple uh, because uh, the emotional demands on couples are so much greater now, uh, and they're idiosyncratic for a lot of people. In other words, the emotional meaning that you give to the same events and behaviors are not the same that your husband will give because he has an opposite vulnerability, a different temperament. We seek those things out in our right. partners. Uh, a different family history. I assume he's not your brother. <laughs> uh, well, and what's uh, even the oddest thing is even if you come from the same family, you don't have the same family history because you yeah, that's experience true. things different from your siblings. So, so, oh, that's true. And your parents uh, mature mm-hmm. as, as they get older. So the, uh, there's an old saying in family therapy, no siblings have the same parents. Exactly. 
Yeah, and I mean, and I and I've noticed when I work with my couples that that is one of the. In fact, I've actually kind of termed it like the biggest challenge is, oh, this person over here doesn't think like me, experience life like me, behave like me. Now, what the heck am I supposed to do with him? <laughs> uh, well, allow it to enrich your life because we really do seek out the differences. There's no me harmony. You know, you don't want someone just like you. You might as well live by yourself. Right. Or we want think. we want that di- those differences, and and I think the secret of modern relationships is cherish as many uh, differences as you can, appreciate as many as you can, and tolerate the ones you can't cherish or appreciate. <laughs> I love that. So you you mention in this article that the best approach to a successful relationship is for each partner to say to the other. Teach me how to love you, and I will teach you how to love me. Um, and so this is a really interesting concept because we don't, we don't experience love in the same way. The things that matter to us you know, may not be the same thing. We, I mean, we might have some agreement, yes, like we want to have children and or raise them in this particular way, but we can go way off track on that one, too. So you break this down in, kind of into a formula, and you know I'd like to kind of take us through that formula. So you talk, I'd like to talk about the first two steps, and, and what are the first two steps in this formula of teaching each other how, how to love each other? Uh, okay, well, let me give you a little background first. Uh, okay. You see, people don't really know. You don't think about what will make you feel loved. And the reason we don't, we think about what doesn't make us feel yeah. loved, <laughs> but not really what does. And the reason for that is it's not really being loved that feels so good. It's being loving. And that that's kind of hard to see sometimes because it's so much easier to be loving if you are loved. Yes. <laughs> but it's being loving that makes the, all the difference because it doesn't feel good to be loved if you're, you don't feel lovable. You feel like you're getting something you don't deserve or mm-hmm. something you can't return. Mm-hmm. So it's really being loving. And that that's, was the background. I wanted people to think about what's going to make you feel loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... and and also, it, it's the I developed the power love formula about 30 years ago, which is uh, based on if you want to love big, you have to think small. It's really very small moments, frequent small moments of connection. Uh, since then, though, Barbara Fredrickson are, uh, has written a couple of books. She's a, a, a researcher. She's not a therapist. Uh-huh. About she called, The one I like the best is called Micro Moments of Love. Oh, what a great title. <laughs> yeah, where data, it, her data shows that it's very small moments of connection, like a brief eye contact. You pass by each other and just reach out and touch. Uh-huh. N- nothing big, but it, it creates this attitude of connection. And that not only makes people happier in their relationships, but they're physically healthier, according to her data. So that's what I was going after, these small moments of connection. Well, and that makes th- sense. Yeah. And think about what they are. So. Mm-hmm. You start out by, uh, like I would, if you're my wife, I will ask you, what can I do that would make you feel loved? And what would you say, just off the top of your head? Off the, 
off the top of my head would be, I, I'm, I'm for, if we want to talk love languages, I'm an acts of service kind of person. So if you actually did something for me. So one of the things that makes me feel loved is when it's my night to do the dishes and I come in to clean up the kitchen and my husband's already done it. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I feel so loved. Okay. Uh, so And I could do that if I'm your husband. I could do the dishes when right. it, now and then when it's your turn, not every night. But <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> but, then, but, then, but now then and then feel loved because then he'd feel taken advantage of but yeah right right of course but the the second part of it is so you want to make it easier for people to do what you want uh-huh we tend to be resentful and that makes it hard for people to do what we want we yes. want to make it easy so i say i i can do that i can wash the dishes but you know what will make it easier for me to do that if you would appreciate it when i do oh yeah uh, and you could do that, right? So you are doing something to help me make you feel loved, and I am doing something to make you feel loved. It's it's reciprocitous, uh-huh. uh, and that's really what you know. You got to feel loving in order to. Or, I mean, you got to be loving in order to feel loved. Uh, yeah, that's really what that that's be, about. And that can be a problem because you mentioned you mentioned the R word, the resentment, and and. You know, when I work with couples, it's like, well, you do this because, and it's like, well, but then when when's my partner going to do this? I said, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. It's like somebody's got to step up and and start the loving cycle. Yeah, uh, I, I have every marriage therapist has gotten that. Why should I be the one to have to do this? Why should I do, um, the answer always has to be because you want a better life. Right. <laughs> and and you got to answer that yourself. You know, why do I have to... I, ask, I said do it myself now and then. Why do I have to do all this work for clients? Well, because I want to be a better person. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's partially why we're together. And it, it's really interesting because I was working with a couple last night and, and he... You know, there have been some problems, and you know, he kind of he kind of dug down into it. And he goes, "Well, I'm just selfish." I said, "Yeah, but you can't be selfish and happily married." <laughs> uh, I, actually, what I what I say to people who say that if you really are selfish, you will be met happily married because if you're really selfish, you're going to value the most important person in your life, <laughs> and that will create happiness. Uh, it's self-destructive to devalue someone you value. Right. So true selfishness will lead to a happy marriage, but what somebody who says they're selfish means is they don't want to think about their partners and they don't see how self-destructive that is. Right. They get caught into this. I mean, because er- early on, you know, because early on when we're in relationships, it's always we're always thinking about, oh, what can I do to make my partner feel good and feel wonderful and feel special? And then somewhere along the line, it shifts to, well, yeah, what have you done for me lately? And to me, that's that deadly shift, because obviously what you, what you were talking about earlier about those micro moments, somehow they've stopped. Well, it. it, it 
I think it's because we do uh, marry on such a high level of interest and love, uh, and it has to come down because it consumes too much resources, too much uh, mental resources, too much mm-hmm. interest. We've got to function in society besides being in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it goes down equally, it's not so bad because you stay connected and invest energy in other places, work and children, that kind of thing. But it tends not to go down equally. One goes down in interest and, and attention faster than the other. Right, and, and then, of course, you introduce those lovely little beings called children, and that kind of sucks people's attention, too. Yeah, so. well, <laughs> statistically, marital satisfaction goes down with each child because yes. of, of that diminishing attention from the couple uh, but they have to be able to stay connected while they're they're doing it connections mostly an attitude yeah. and that the, you you choose to feel connected and you choose to feel disconnected what I try to get people to see is that you like yourself a lot better when you choose to feel connected <laughs> and you like yourself less when you choose to feel disconnected and, and your this, life goes a lot easier too especially if you're you know, in a relationship. Yeah, well, your life's going to go better when you like yourself better. Yeah. So this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Stosny. He's the author and founder of Compassion Power about how to make romantic relationships work when all the old rules seem to have gone out the window. So if you're finding this to be a challenge for you, I invite you to contact me today. Give me a call or send me an email and take advantage of my free, no obligation, create your happily ever after strategy session. You can reach me at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can send me an email at leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S. Coaching, N is in Nancy, C is in Charlie.com. Now, I want to get back to talking with Dr. Sosny and his formula. So what are the next steps in your formula for teaching each other how to, how, how to love? Well, th- then you make a list of what your partner can do for you to make you feel loved. And, and again, these are small moments of connection. And, I, and I'll tell you what I came up with for my wife. Uh, when I come home, I would like her to stop whatever she's doing and come and give me a hug come and greet me because uh-huh. uh, she works from home you know and she can be distracted when I'm coming <laughs> yeah. and that's not a tradition in her family so uh, and she said okay right, I can do that and I said well how can I make it easier for you to do that and she says well when I hug you really hold the hug usually you rush right by me to go to the bathroom <laughs> you know a middle-aged man with a prostate I, I'm sure I did do that so what I started doing was if it was a long drive I would stop in a public bathroom before I got home <laughs> so I could really enjoy that hug <laughs> well and I love the concept of this because because you're creating this together it isn't one person saying do this do this do this it's okay so here's my list and now I'm going to ask you what would how could I make that easier for you to do I mean so it's so it's like in my family I I do the grocery shopping always done the grocery shopping because I have this weird thing about picking my own fruits and vegetables and you know but 
but what would help me do it is when we, my husband and I talk about, well, what meals do we want? What do you need from the grocery store? Don't you know, mm-hmm. put it on the list? I mean, something that will help me do that. And then, of course, he always, you know, he thanks me every week for going to the grocery store, which is makes me, you know, which which makes it feel like not a chore, even though it is a chore. Yeah. So I love that concept of of doing that and. Do you find when you're working with your couples that, because you were talking about earlier, that sometimes we don't know what makes us feel loved. We know what what makes us feel unloved. Um, How can couples identify these these smaller things as opposed to, well, you would just listen to me or you'd pay attention to me. And when I work with my clients, I say, okay, give me something that if I were sitting in your kitchen with a with a clipboard, I could check off. Yes, that's happening. What what exactly would I be seeing? You know, make it make it more concrete. Well, it, if that said, I want you to listen to me more. Then I would say, or the partner would say, well, it would make it easier for me to listen to you more if you would use shorter sentences. Because <laughs> usually, uh, the, the person who's not listening feels the other person is broadcasting, not really. <laughs> Oh yes, and now, and now you just headed straight into some some gender differences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes, but it's not just that that you know the cliche of women talking more. I think women, when they talk, try to con. I, I actually study transcripts of same mm-hmm. sets. Uh, uh, talk men talking to men and women talking to women years ago when I was in graduate school. Women talk to convey experience. You want to convey the experience of whatever you're talking about, where men tend to talk about facts. Right, they're so when, when you're trying to talk about experience, he's listening to facts. So just throw a few facts in now and then <laughs> along with the experience. You know, you don't see that difference anymore now that people have GPS, but you used to really see it when they, the difference between men and women giving directions. Yes. A man would say, you go down to that street, turn left, then turn right, and then you're there. A woman will say, you go down to where that big oak tree hangs over the <laughs> over the street, and then the purple flowers are on the left. Then you mm-hmm. go down by the row of stores. She's conveying the experience of the drive. Right. Not, yeah. My, my daughter just, doesn't know a single street name. It's like, okay, honey, you got to help me out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the, that, that's a big difference. And you know what I train men, what I train myself to do in my own marriage, and what I train men to do is be flattered that your wife wants. to to share this experience with you. And when they hear that, well, sharing experience, it's not just talking at me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then then they get a little more open to it. But you do have to, you know, we got to come out of our comfort zones a little. I, mm-hmm. I, a man has to listen to slightly longer sentences than he would like to, and the woman has to use slightly shorter sentences than she would like to. But that's, but that's this dynamic of helping each other Right. Um, with with what you want and need, and then moving it in, you know, so so you're creating this interaction, this reciprocity that you talked about. About okay, I'm I'm willing to shorten my sentences if you can handle a little bit longer. So so we both get what we need out of that, and it makes us feel more connected. 
Right. You meet in the middle, and that's really what I think connection is, because you're not going to make your partner into you, and you don't really want to. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Although there people is... do try this. They do think that's what they want. It's like, no, really, you don't. <laughs> and my favorite metaphor for a relationship now is an, uh, an instrumental du- duet. Both musicians can make beautiful music on their own, but together they make something better than they can on their own harmony. But they can't do that if the violin's trying to make the cello into a violin, (laughs) or the cello is trying to make the violin into a cello. It won't work. You just make noise. So you've got to to accommodate each other's differences. Mm -hmm. The biggest mistake, and that was background of developing this formula, uh, the biggest mistake I think we make is giving our partners, or assuming that our partners are experiencing the world in exactly the same way we are. Uh, well, because that's that's almost never true. Well, and that and that comes out with when when couples are relating maybe a conversation that they had, and one person will say, "Well, you said this," and it's like, "No, I didn't." Yes, you did. It's like, okay, if you don't have some recording device, you're never going to agree because they actually experience that conversation differently. Differently, absolutely. But they're arguing about it. it's like you're, I said because and I tell people what your partner says is not what you hear and what you what you say is not what they hear and as long as everybody can understand that then we're okay yeah so you also point out that learning you know that that mastering this um, formula takes time and consistency and you suggest it takes about six weeks which actually in the long run is 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 a blip. I mean, six weeks in a in a marriage is nothing. So, what is the commitment that each partner should make about the relationship and their behavior during this six week time period when they're when they're working on, you know, okay, I've got your list, you've got my list. I've told you how you know, what would help me give you you know make you feel loved, and you've told me you know. What would help you make me feel loved? So, the, the, well, the reason the, the reason it takes six weeks is because most interactions in a couple who lives or anybody who lives together become habituated. Mm-hmm. You know, upwards of sixty percent of all your interactions are habits, mm-hmm. um, meaning that you respond the same way on the same phys- physical conditions: morning, afternoon, hungry, tired. Uh, over and over again. So, and your brain wants to do habits because they consume a, just a fraction of the mental energy that intentional behavior does. So you're going to keep slipping back into habits unless you make a real effort in the six weeks to keep your list uh, in, in mind, be mindful of it. Uh-huh. Now, after about six weeks, that'll become your new habit. Then you won't have to really think about <laughs> it anymore. <laughs> the good, the bad news is it takes six weeks. The good news is that's all it takes. That's all it takes. <laughs> so, what what have you found? I mean, there there's some standard things about well, you know, why why should I have to do this? It's like, okay, what's what, what, what's your goal? You know, what is it that you want to have happen? Um, well, you've got to break the, uh, I call it the toddler brain standoff. The toddler brain standoff, if you loved me, you would do this. Or like your mother said, if you, he loved me, he would he know would what know. I want. Yeah. Uh, and the, the problem with that logically is the partner would say, if you loved me, you wouldn't ask me to do that. <laughs> and that's why it doesn't get you anywhere. It's not really about love. It's about differences in perspective. 
So what you want to do is make it safe to love each other from different perspectives, not try to make it one perspective. Binocular vision is what I emphasize, being able to see both perspectives at the same time. If you can't really see your partner's perspective about any interaction or your relationship as a whole, don't make a judgment about it because uh-huh. even if yours is absolutely right, and it never is absolutely right. It may be right you, for you. Yeah, but even if it was uh, factually right, it's mm-hmm. incomplete without your partner's. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and, and I see how that can play out because there's a lot of times when, and you know, my, my husband said this to me once because I, I really don't like it when he has very cold hands or feet and he puts them on me. I mean, it really, I, I, do, not, I do not like being cold. And so one day I put my cold hands on him and he goes, you know, if I did that to you, it would really annoy you. I said, yeah, but I know it doesn't bother you, so it's actually okay. But, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, he he knew what was important to me. I knew he didn't care, and I wanted to have my hands warmed up, so... But but we but we didn't get into this argument, and I think people do about well, why is that important to you? Why why does that you know it, justify justify why you need that? And I think that's because it's and, and, and that. you have to justify it because it's not important to me. See, that's the tub, subtext, right. and that's what gets you into trouble. It's got to be us not not my perspective not your perspective but that joint perspective you know there's really three entities in the relationship there's you there's your partner and there's the relationship and the relationship's like a fruit orchard you've got to nurture it and it'll feed you Uh, a lot of times I, I think I'm doing things not for my wife because then I'll expect her to do something for me in return and we'll start keeping score. I do it for a relationship because the relationship nurtures me and it's a better relationship if I put some effort into it. Right, and I, I really love that perspective because that's that's what I talk about too is that you don't stop being an individual, you're just you plus it's you plus the relationship and you're and you're wanting that relationship to be as strong and healthy as possible which means you can't do things that are harmful to you in it but that means that maybe you do things that you wouldn't normally do but because it enhances the relationship yeah yeah well my example is going to the ballet that's not really harmful to me (laughs) but i do it because it's good for my relationship right (laughs) Right. So um, this is, I mean, I always love talking about this and and giving people some really concrete and practical things that they can do. And this, you know, I'm making these lists and, you know, getting really specific about, oh, well, it really makes me feel loved when this happens and and here's, here's, you know, (laughs) what you can do. And, And I really think that gives people more of a sense of, safety and security because I don't have to try to I don't have to try to mind read right also I, I will ask couples especially if uh, you know if I'm not seeing them as a couple if I'm seeing mm-hmm. one at a time start this conversation by saying what your partner already does to make you feel love especially if you're doing it with a man because men always hear 
the way you love isn't good enough. <laughs> right, yeah, there's criticism. They, it, yeah, they yeah. yeah. Uh, even it, it, no matter how she puts it, no matter right. how, how, uh, uh, how many I statements she uses and feeling uh-huh. statements she uses, that's what he's going to hear because men have this dread of failure. Uh, and men don't like to do anything they can't do well. <laughs> Right, which which sometimes I think women don't don't understand, and it, it is important to let to let. I think it's important for both genders to let people know. Wow, I so appreciate this. I mean, you know, yeah. And, and, and I've and never after, met a man who didn't want his wife to be happy. So if you tell him how to make you happy, especially if you can do it without spending a lot of money. <laughs> and, and and I so want. I mean, that is so true. And this is. I think a lot of women don't understand that all men all men really want to do is make their is is make the women in their lives happy. Because and, if they're you're not happy, they're not going to be happy. They're going to feel like a failure if you're not happy. I've had men married to depressed women. They can't bear to look at them because the pain in her face is so painful for them to look at. I actually have to hold their heads and make them look at their wives with tears in their eyes so they can be sympathetic. But the shame of failing as a partner paralyzes them and they can't look unless they force them right, to. Because, once, once they do it, then they can be sympathetic. Yeah, but because they personalize that. And, and she's not depressed because of you, but, but yeah, it's very, very hard. And, and it's, it's, the same, it's the same reason why men don't like it when women cry. It's like, okay. Um, so this has been a really wonderful conversation. I thank you so much for, for um, participating in this and, and sharing this information. And can you let people know where they can find this article, where they can find more of your of your writings? Because you've you, you've written a lot of things, and like I said, I I earlier I said I was I've been to some of your seminars and I've read some of your books, and I think it's wonderful advice. Um, can you tell people how to find you? Uh, yeah, well. The, what we talked about today is summarized in my latest book called Empowered Love. Uh, it's a, a lot of it is also on my blog on psychologytoday.com, uh, and our website is compassionpower.com. Okay, so terrific. So. You know, there's another marriage relationship expert that I know Dr. Stosny knows named Terry Real, and he wrote in his The New Rules of Marriage this statement that each partner should make. How can I help you give me what I need? Which is a somewhat similar thing that we've been talking about, which mm-hmm. means we have to know what what we want, what we need, what makes us feel loved. We have to know what that is because expecting your partner to just know or worse, actually setting them up for failure by testing them is the path to dissatisfaction. So you have to know what you want and be willing to both communicate it and help your partner in giving it to you. And so the approach that you've heard about today is really a good place to start. And I hope you'll keep listening to the show for more good advice. And until next week, stay loving. Stay loving.